Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the Outcomes Rocket. Saul Marquez is here, and today I have the privilege of hosting Sanji Fernando. He's a senior vice president at Optum, where he leads the artificial intelligence and analytics platforms team. He's responsible for developing platforms that support the design and development of leading edge AI models and analytic tools for the enterprise. Previously, Sanji was vice president at Optum Labs and led the Optum Labs Center for Applied Data Science, which is called CADS. The CADS team applied breakthroughs in AI and machine learning to solve complex healthcare challenges for United Health Groups and by developing and deploying software product concepts. CADS pioneered using deep learning to streamline administrative processes and revenue cycle management and developed graph analytics tools to support provider network design, among other innovations that they've done. He's been at Optum Labs since 2014 from Nokia, where he created Nokia's first data science team. So definitely no rookie to data science and AI. Before that, he spent those nine years there and just has done an incredible amount of work as well as starting his own business. So it's a true privilege to have Sanji on the podcast here and uh, excited to cover his insights in, in healthcare and AI. So Sanji, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Saul. That was very gracious. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Likewise. So, Sanji, what inspires your work in, in healthcare? Because at the beginning, you were in healthcare, right? You're a technology guy that gravitated to healthcare. Yeah. You know, I was in telecom and I worked in internet companies uh, way back when. And I really had an affinity to technology, studied computer science in college. And what brought me back to healthcare maybe was growing up in the healthcare family, really. Both my oh, parents okay. were physicians. I had a great exposure to them. They were primary care physicians in Connecticut and saw their day-to-day work, saw the lives they touched. And while I didn't pursue that as a career, I understood maybe almost subconsciously that it was something that was very satisfying. And now I've got a wife and three kids and, you know, healthcare touches us all. And so my hope is that by understanding and pursuing some pretty advanced technologies over my career, I could bring that back to healthcare a little bit and see if we can make some uh, significant changes in how, how we use technology to enable healthcare in the U.S. and, and even abroad. I think that's great, Sanji. And so it's that that story, you know, your parents grew up as physicians. And when you took that left turn, Sanji, what did they think? I mean, did they say, oh, our son's not going to be a doctor? Or were they happy that you became a, a, an IT guy? I think they were, they were always supportive. I mean, yeah. from the age of like eight or nine, they were spending way too much money buying us computers <laughs> and gaming consoles. And I think they knew uh, that that was something I was passionate about. And there were times where you want to follow your parents' footsteps. Being a physician is an incredibly honorable uh, profession, incredibly stable profession. And, you know, I made an effort to get through organic chemistry in college. And after that, 
I said, you know, I think I want to do something I'm really a little bit more excited about. Yeah, no, I, I can appreciate that. So it sounds like you were kind of drawn in by, by technology at a very young age, gave it a swing, but said, I'm going to follow my passion, mom and dad. Yeah, and they were supportive all the way, so... That's awesome, that's man. An important lesson for us all, yeah. Oh, that's a, yeah, especially as parents now. I mean, so, hey, kudos to you, uh, mom and dad. You sound just doing pretty good now. What makes what you guys do there at Optum different, and, and how is it adding value to the ecosystem of the business and of your customers? Yeah, my focus is AI, and Optum is it's such a multifaceted business. We touch so many portions of the healthcare system, from patients to providers to governments to employers to pharmaceutical companies. And that gives us this great opportunity to take a look maybe more holistically at how we can really drive and deliver better outcomes and change in the healthcare system, specifically in my focus area. We've got a wealth of data across our enterprise, over 220 million identified patient lives of data. Um, that gives us this great perspective on how we could take some of these new, often referred to as artificial intelligence, but the state of the art of artificial intelligence is machine learning approaches. But we can take these machine learning approaches that, by definition, allowing us to learn from the data itself rather than explicitly state exactly what to do next. And that's a real important breakthrough for us, especially in healthcare, because healthcare is so complex. And sometimes when we try to create a structured set of imperatives or rules or heuristics, there will always be edge cases and exceptions, and it becomes very difficult to construct and simulate a world like that. And so that's really what's exciting for us is, is that we have, uh, and our, my team and a number of the professionals here at Optum have this opportunity to work with this uh, um, vast array of data in the hope that we will enable better outcomes and really allow people to work at their full license. Love that, Sanji. And, and so as we think about machine learning and AI and in, in, in healthcare, these big data sets, what would you say is the, is the opportunity what could we do more of or, or what can we do differently to get more value for outcomes and, and business? Yeah, you know, we're very excited about the potential for AI. And I think if you read a lot of the press today, a lot of the really amazing work happening at academic institutions, at leading technology companies, a lot of it focuses on potentially using this data to support better clinical decision making. Mm -hmm. And no doubt that will be a big portion of this story in the next five to 10 years. But right now, today, we have a great opportunity to look at some of the more mundane parts of our healthcare system, parts that are we commonly refer to as administrative processes or services like claims adjudication, revenue cycle management, um, risk adjustment, and medical coding. These are important parts of our process in the U.S. to deliver appropriate and well-reimbursed healthcare, but they can be onerous and complex. And it's these areas that we've um, looked to see how we could apply some of the the latest and greatest breakthroughs in artificial intelligence and deep learning to try to automate and reduce some of that complexity, free people up to work on the most complex cases, and try to automate and try to reduce the amount of manual work on things that are, are a little bit more repetitive than those administrative problems. Yeah, it's, it's about freeing people up to do more things of higher value. That's exactly right. Our theory is that if we can allow people to spend the time 
on the most complex questions, whether it be administrative or clinical, that's going to be the best use of their capabilities and their skills. And the more we can um, leverage these approaches to prioritize their work, to automate um, key steps, automate approvals, or agree on reimbursement levels, that will free both payers and providers up and hopefully allow them to apply that to what are really problems that do need people to lead and understand and solve something that uh, machine learning uh, approaches won't be able to do for us. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's such a great opportunity, Sanji, and so much time and effort is being spent on, on these, these tasks that really doesn't contribute to overall outcomes. How do you believe you guys at Optum are, are using this technology differently than what's out there or even better? Than how it's being used. We're at the very front end of our journey, but we're really excited about some of the products and services that we've brought to market that we think are helping us take those first steps um, in healthcare. One of them is Optum360 Case Advisor product, which automates the review of medical. Which one is that, Sandy? Sorry, I missed, I missed it. Optum oh, what? Optum360 Case Advisor. Okay. Um, oh, okay. Interesting. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it, it allows us to automate the review of medical charts so we can help providers decide which charts are the most complex that require a third-party physician review. In the past, we put that burden on you know, either case managers or folks working on the floors to decide how to route that to a third-party physician for um, an independent attestation. Now we can take all the charts review them all, and then determine which of the ones are that really do require a physician to read and review. It just optimizes both the workflow for the folks on the floor in those hospital systems, as well as focuses our third-party physicians on the right cases to focus on. Now, that would have been very hard to do if we tried to construct a complex set of rules to govern that. But what we did was that we trained a deep learning model to identify those charts based on what our physicians had already reviewed in the past. So it learned from those decisions. And by training the model on past decisions, we not only can get a great deal of accuracy on which charts should be reviewed, we don't miss many of them. And more importantly, as criteria change, as guidelines change, as practice changes, we can continue to learn from those decisions and the model will essentially update itself to reflect that changing decision space. I think that's super interesting. Yeah. And that, you know, we're excited. One of the things that coming from a tech background, some might hear this with the tech background and say, hey, you know, that that's something I could do very quickly and easily uh, using, you know, amazing tools from Google and Facebook like TensorFlow and PyTorch. And that's definitely the case. But the one thing I've learned in healthcare is that we do have a an important responsibility to make sure we're getting things right, whether they be administrative or clinical. We're constantly working with um, important patient data, some of it identifiable. These are important decisions that affect reimbursement and how that gets reflected in your overall healthcare spending. And so oftentimes we just need to be very deliberate in how we test and evaluate patients. So I think that's something that coming from outside of uh, a healthcare background for many years, something I really have gained a greater appreciation on is that some of these changes may feel like they're not moving as quickly as we'd like to. But we've got a lot on the line here. This is not about getting a catalog selection or a 
you know, tagging a photo in an Instagram post, right? You know, like there's a level of inadequacy you can handle there. Here we have some very important decisions that we want to ensure we're getting right. And so it requires a lot of thoughtfulness and friendfulness to do that. But I'm excited because I think now that we've demonstrated this capability in some of our products, we're hoping to scale that off quickly and safely across the enterprise. Yeah, no, I, I think you're bringing up some great points, Sanji, that, that healthcare complexity and the spillover effects when, you, when you're talking about people's lives and, and outcomes. So is the intention to have these systems be used to grow the Optum business internally and kind of help be more efficient and better at what, what is being done? Or is the intention also to maybe eventually offer these systems and technologies to your customers so they could also benefit from them? It's both. I think because we serve so many portions of the healthcare system, we oftentimes act on behalf of important entities other payers and providers so gotcha. we can enable our internal processes but also like with case advisor and other tools we're we're embedding them in our products and services that customers use every day so it's a little bit of both love it i love that you're able to improve the business efficiency internally and then also help your stakeholders get better as well yeah, no, we're excited. I think um, every day we're working towards pursuing um, new applications of this technology. At the same point, as you're probably super well aware of, breakthroughs that are happening around machine learning and artificial intelligence coming out almost every day. And so we're excited to take advantage of all this great investment, all this great work, both in academic institutions and by our care companies to see how we can apply this in new and novel ways across our business. Yeah, no, it's a must. And uh, for those listening, thinking about how they can start applying some of these technologies that don't have a data science team or don't really know where to begin. I mean, what kind of advice would you give them? We're always there to help. I've got to say that right up front, either myself or partners across Optum, um, as we embed these tools into our products and services, hopefully more people will be able to take advantage of it. That being said, if you're getting started, it can feel overwhelming. There are a couple of things I would think about with regard to where to begin. We've built some tools that are um, styled off of the business model canvas that help us think about how to solve a problem and take advantage of AI when we solve it. And some of the aspects that we focus on are, you know, getting your use case right. What do you want to accomplish? How is it accomplished today? How do you want to improve it? What problem are you solving? Another important question is to understand what data you have. What is the information that you're going to use to train a machine learning model? And with that data, there's a very important question. The lack of a better trying to oversimplify it a little bit. The question is, if you have a piece of information like a, a claim or a chart or a lab report, do you have the answer you want? Do you have a record of what someone did or what you'd like to be the right answer if, uh, if, a, if a model is presented with that information? That's a really important question. And one when we answer that often, we realize we have lots of right answers. Often in data science terms, it's called labels. Labels represent, might represent um, what a medical professional did when they try to rework a claim to get to the appropriate reimbursement amount. It might be the decision of a physician to authorize or approve a procedure or, or a reimbursement. These are all sort of the right answers that we can learn from. 
And so when you look at your business, you should find uh, what sort of data you have and what sort of answers you have. Now, that's not to say that if you don't have those answers, you can't build machine learning models. But it does make it a little bit harder. It moves into a realm of what we call unsupervised learning that can be more difficult to predict, more difficult to maintain and support. And while it's not a showstopper, that's an important question for us. And then finally, the, the one thing I would also um, think about is how much data do you have? How much data do you really have? Oftentimes, we think about very big stats. You know, you have millions of records, millions of pieces of information. But for the problem you're solving, you have to ask yourself, how much data do you have to answer that question? This comes up quite a bit. I mentioned earlier that we have over 200 million patient lines of data. But when you start whittling down, say, conditions or geographies, data sets can get very small very quickly. And so um, yeah. having a, a large set of data is really important. Again, not a showstopper, but it makes things a lot easier. No, there's some, some great highlights here, Sanji, for anybody wanting to head in this direction. You've provided a great framework. What are you most proud of in business accomplishments and, and your career as it relates to AI and healthcare? I'm really excited that we spent about three years at Optum Labs, an R&D center, as you mentioned, at the beginning of the podcast, really trying to understand some of the breakthroughs in AI, like deep learning, and how it might impact our business. We then went through a real thoughtful process of testing and failing and testing different ideas and concepts and how we could apply these new technologies. That ultimately resulted in products like Optum 360 Case Advisor. And what I'm really excited now is that because of those early successes because of those early failures, we're now at a point where we have enough information and understanding to say, this is something we're ready to scale. And the challenge we've been placed, that's been placed on us right now is how do we scale artificial intelligence solutions across our healthcare business? How do we take on bigger problems, bigger ideas, and enable more of our business with this technology. And so that's what I'm really excited about. And that's what gets me up in the morning a little bit, get my team up in the morning, and, and, and it's built on those early efforts and investments and failures, but really excited to see that we're moving into the next stage of our AI journey. I mean, it really shows the commitment of Optum to take this technology and leverage it to make, make business and, and outcomes better three full years of just sort of sandbox figuring things out. And now you guys walked out of that with some really good ideas and they're starting to put it into action. Yeah, I'm really excited. Optum's always had a big commitment to innovation um, from our most senior level of leadership. And so, but you know, with that commitment requires patience. And I'm happy to say, I think at least with regard to AI, that patience has really paid off for Optum. Love it. Now, it's a great view into the, the culture and the innovative character of you and, and the leaders there. What would you say is, is one of the biggest setbacks you, you experienced during those three years? And what was the key learning? If I think about it, we failed a lot. And overall, I don't think any one setback defined what we did. And what I'm thinking out is like, when you are working with more innovative, more risky, more speculative ideas and technologies, you have to be ready for failure. Like we tried tons of stuff. Some of it worked and some, a lot of it didn't. I was, as we're talking, I'm just reminded, we, when we first started trying to interpret a medical text, we used a great library that uh, Facebook had trained on the English language to understand sentiment from it called fast text. And we were like, mm -hmm. oh, that's definitely going to work on our medical text. And it totally 
actually, it didn't completely fail. It didn't perform as well as we had hoped. Yeah. And when we looked at the test itself, it was so different from what Aztecs was trained on is that we had to train our own um, model to take into account such the, the, the vast variation in the medical shorthand you see in, in, in EMR medical notes. And so mm-hmm. those, I don't see as setbacks, but almost like you have to have in your DNA the ability to structure your work like experiments. Yeah. And like a scientist almost, assume they fail, you know, assume failure until it is proven successful. And that's just a little bit of attitude and culture to be okay with the fact that not everything's going to work out, but you're going through a systematic, almost a method that's almost rooted in the scientific method where you're systematically trying new things. And at some point, you have to be okay to stop that that hypothesis is really just not going to work out. But that's probably the biggest takeaway from, from my time at Austin Labs. Yeah, you know, um, Sanji, and that's the word that kept coming up in my mind when you were sharing that as scientists. Like, it's a scientific method, right? You got failure is is in the fabric of the duty. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I will say that, that that wasn't readily apparent for me, at least, coming into this role um, five years ago and really rethinking how to think about success and failure, that if you treat those very first steps as experiments and you evaluate the results, I think overall, over a longer period of time, you'll get greater success because then you'll have better information to know how to proceed and how to proceed correctly. So that was a big learning for me in the last five years. I think it's great. And a great framework to put around this effort of integrating AI and deep learning, machine learning into, into these very complex and very niched efforts. I was talking to a guest not too long ago that shared about how they wanted to come up with a CRM for pharma companies to engage patients. And they shared that they, their initial attempt was to build upon an existing CRM and how that failed miserably. But it really taught them a lot about the importance of customization, but then being able to scale. And, and now they're able to appreciate all the nuances, kind of like you are, right, with trying to use this Facebook algorithm having to retrain it because of all the shorthand. I mean, it's really, really neat to hear your experience in that particular experiment. Yeah, no, and it sounds like they, they have the same learning too. I think, you know, we're all learning a lot about how to think about innovation differently. And, you know, credit for credit too. Like, I think a lot of this thinking has been pioneered with startups in Silicon Valley, but it's very applicable in some of the large organizations like ours and others as we try to innovate at the same pace. And some of those new companies. For sure. What would you say, Sanji, is, is one of your most proud accomplishments thus far? I think we're pretty excited about Case Advisor, just to bring it back to that. I think being, from what we could tell, we were one of the first, if not the first, to market with any cycle management um, product that used deep learning. I think we established the value and benefit to the business. While I think some very smart people can see the promise of AI, given how much they invested in Optum Labs. Until you actually deliver a product into market, there's always going to be a question like, is this really relevant? Are we, are we following the right path or are we in sort of quote-unquote a dry hole? And so that's what we're really excited about. I think that allowed us to now think about greater investment, think about different products and services that can be enabled with AI and how to expand that. But it doesn't happen without that first success. Love it. It's a great, great call out. And what would you say is the thing that you're most excited about today? I think there's a lot to be excited about. 
But as I think about the future of artificial intelligence and how it can change healthcare, I think I'm really excited about the possibility of getting to AI that can help with clinical decision support. We are not there yet, but we might be there you know, even this morning. There, there's so many people working towards overcoming what is essentially the biggest challenge with some of these breakthroughs like deep learning, which is getting to real interpretability. Sometimes we call it the black box problem. Mm-hmm. If you really want to be able to recommend a course of clinical care for someone, you've got to explain why. And that reflects that sort of answering the question of why the recommendation is being made is is often referred to broadly as a set of uh, approaches called causal methods. We're trying to understand the causality for a problem or, or, or data state. And when I look out forward, I see amazing investments and breakthroughs happening at companies, as I mentioned, like Google and Facebook, academic institutions like MIT and Stanford, where researchers and data scientists and, and engineers are trying to figure out how to get to true causality. Once we get there, I think we will be more confident, comfortable. I think physicians and clinicians and nurse practitioners and all those folks who are really the most important part of our healthcare system, people who are actually caring for you and me, mm-hmm. they'll be more confident that the recommendations we're making are understandable, are comprehensive and safe and trustworthy. But I think that requires a lot of work from all of us to explore and continue to innovate. We're not there yet, but given all the work that's happening across the industry, I'm confident that we'll see some breakthroughs. And over time, with a lot of time and effort and testing and validation, we might be able to apply that to a clinical setting. Love it. Love that view, that horizon viewing into the future. It's definitely promising to be able to lift the hood on that out- outcome of the decision and, and understand causality. So if you could have uh, lunch or, or coffee or, or tea with anybody, who would it be? Yeah, you know, one of the folks that I've been a little bit inspired by and uh-huh. I'll have a lunch with is, is a guy by the name of Charlie Munger, who I didn't know a lot about. He is Warren Buffett's sort of best friend, partner in Berkshire Hathaway. And he's got an amazing perspective on business and investment where he looks at, he's constantly testing himself to understand what is the framework that, that describes a complex problem or problem space. And you've got a book that's out of print, but it's full of his speeches and thinking about how to think about problems called Charlie Munger's Almanac. And it's, I actually it's have it. Perspectives on. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have yeah, it on my show. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. at it. I'm like, oh my God, I got to pull that thing down. I haven't looked at it in a while. Uh, but please, uh, so why should we take a look at it, Sanji? Like, tell us a little bit more, because I was really intrigued when I learned about Charlie, the, the man behind the man. I mean, such an interesting guy. Yeah, you know, I'm fascinated by it too. He studies all sorts of uh, areas of academic study and theory and practice, looking for different ways different frameworks to solve problems, whether mm-hmm. it be behavioral science, be economics, what is the framework that defines a two-sided marketplace like eBay versus what is the framework that drives behavioral economics and some of the trends of patterning. And what's, what's amazing is that there are all these different ways to look at problems from many different diverse disciplines. And you'll, you'll never know what problem you have in front of you. But if you have this sort of set of frameworks to think about the problem and draw on these frameworks that have been established, that seems like a good way to get started in solving really complex problems. And so that's what I love 
about reading about him and different mental models on how to approach problems. That's pretty cool. Um, and, and think about the different, yeah. That's pretty cool. So would that be the book you recommend or would it be a different one? Well, I, I'd probably recommend that book. You know, yeah. I think it, poor it, Charlie's it's been, Yeah, Poor Charlie's Alma. <laughs> Not it, so poor. Read. <laughs> yeah. And there's a bit of a shortcut. I think there's a blog called Farnham Street. There, the host yeah. there is a real big fan of Charlie Munger. And he's got a little bit of a crib sheet, like a hundred mental models that is sort of his version of an almanac. So really? If you don't want to have to, yeah, if you don't want to have to, maybe you can't even find for Charlie's Almanac. I know it's been a little tricky to find in publication, but, but that might be also a great place to start if you're interested in mental, mental models. Yeah, I've heard of it. I, you know, a friend of mine is a, listens to it is a fan of, I think it's Shane, right? Farnham? Yeah. Yeah, Farnham Street. So there you go, folks. There's a, a digital version of Poor Charlie's Almanac, and then also try looking it up. Might be out of print, but you might get lucky and find a copy out there for resale. Sanji, great, great recommendations. And that, that's a first too, by the way, for no one's recommended that one before. Oh, so what's the best advice you ever received? I can't begin to think about, like, there's so much great advice I've gotten you know, over the years. I think one thing that in my life right now that's important for me is, is really thinking about time and time management. I had a, a positive told me, look, it's really important to have time to think about really hard problems. And you've got to prioritize that in your calendar and your life, especially given the nature of the types of things I've been gravitated to doing and like to do. I think it's the case for anyone. Is that sometimes we can fill our calendar from nine to five with meetings and commitments and things to do. But if you don't prioritize that time to think about hard problems, apply some some kind of thoughtfulness and, and time to plan. That's so important. And in my in the point of my career right now, I'm trying to balance that with, with all the communities that are supporting lots of folks and, and also spending a great time with my family and making sure I balance those out. But I think time management, uh, I think it's a great quote. Like, uh, I think it might have been Warren Buffett, maybe, who said it. Like, no amount of money in the world will buy you another second. Oh, day. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Ah, oh, that is great advice. And um, thinking through those hard problems, you really do have to take a step back. And so appreciate that call to action for the listeners, Sanji. Before we conclude, uh, by the way, this has been fun. I really have enjoyed both getting to know you, you better, Sanji, and learning about your philosophy around AI and applying it to healthcare. But I'd love to have you share a closing thought with the listeners and then where can they continue the conversation with you or follow the work you're doing at Optum? Yeah. One closing thought I have is as listeners, as folks who want to make a difference in healthcare, I know there's a lot of hype around AI and there'll be a lot of failed promises. As I think we've all seen those Gartner curves of hype and I don't know if we're at the top of it, but at some point we'll be on the downside of this. AI has gone through waves of success and failure. And I have no doubt history may repeat itself. But I think if we could get through some of those cycles, I think we can make meaningful change with artificial intelligence. I think that's on all of us to to understand these methods, understand what's possible. I hope someday that we're all experts in artificial intelligence, machine learning, confusion issues, you know. And I say that because I think then at that point we'll be making a material impact with AI. But it's not going to be without failure. It's not going to be without down cycles, and hopefully we'll see through that and, and get to a place where we, we've made a material impact on health. 
And if anyone wants to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn, and my email address is sanji.fernando at optum.com. Outstanding. Sanji, thanks again. This has uh, really been a, a true pleasure and uh, excited to see what you guys do with, with the work you, you work so hard uh, at Optum Labs to figure out and the work with the Optum 360 Case Advisor and beyond. So uh, really appreciate the time uh, you spent with us today. No, thank you. It was great meeting you. I look forward to catching up soon. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.